Oh, that was a little premature. <laughs> uh, what do we say? Hi, I'm Oliver. And I'm Bailey. And this is... Survivor Team, Team Go! Go. Redo. No redos. <laughs> Only get one shot to make it perfect. Um, our next segment is check-ins. How are you, Bailey? I'm... I'll be honest with you, Oliver. I'm struggling. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. I've been struggling. It's the holidays. It's my first quarter at uh, grad school and, you know... I don't know. And I have run out of medication and the doctors won't refill it. I have to go to see a psychiatrist, but it's been hard to get an appointment with a psychiatrist that's in my um, network. So anyway, I'm sure lots of our listeners feel this, feel, feel this particular yeah. thing. So if I feel, seem a little low today, low energy, it's, because I'm not taking the proper dosage of my SSRI, antidepressant medication, yeah. which people treat like a controlled substance yeah. and give me a lot of shit about refills for when it's not a controlled substance. And it would be really nice to stay consistent on my psychiatric medications. Yeah. You would think that, that people would be more... That helped me with my depression and my suicidal ideation. Yeah. If people would be more supportive of that goal. More supportive of that, but you know, whatever. You're damned if you take your meds, you're damned if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Welcome to uh that. How are you, Oliver? Um I'm okay. I'm like hanging out with my best friend, so I feel pretty good about that. We watched a movie last night. Uh Silver Linings Playbook, and that was really good. I was skeptical, but I was oh, yeah. Oliver didn't believe that J-Law would be amazing, I just, which J-Law is always amazing, I so seen I don't her know in, why. in anything except X-Men, Oh, which is the problem. <laughs> she's pretty good in that, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. She's not that, it's not, they're not that great at You haven't movies. seen her in anything, then. Yeah. She's literally nothing. So amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, other than that, I'm pretty good. Work, working a lot. Tired of that. Cool. Bummer. I mean, but it's fine. Yeah. I'm glad to have the hours. Yeah. I mean, the holidays can be difficult times for people in retail and survivors of domestic violence and people with mental illness. So just a big shout out to everybody out there that didn't have a good holiday. And is the week between Christmas and my birthday is literally the worst week of my life. And we're in it. Yeah. We're in the thick of it. Yeah. Recording the podcast anyway. It's also so hard when everybody else is so determined to be, like, cheerful. Yeah. Uh, and it's, like, devastated if you're like, oh, I don't like the holidays. Yeah. It's really the like whole... you're ruining their good time. The whole thing where people are like, oh, are you going home for the holidays, Bailey? And it's like, well, no. And then they just look at you and then they change the subject. And it's like, they don't mean... 
you know, they're doing their best, but it's sad. Yeah. To like have that conversation over and over and over again. Yeah. And be like, no, I don't have a family. Actually, my whole family stopped talking to me when I disclosed that my dad sexually abused me as a child. Yeah. My whole family didn't stop talking to me, but my extended family did. Things were never the same. Not that they were great before. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what's our next segment? That's check-in. That's, this has That's been our, check-ins. This has been our That's check-in. how we're doing. That's how we're doing. Today, um, this fine day. The next, check, the next segment is news and updates. Oh, news and updates. Um, what do we have? Uh, I just... We were thinking about doing a Toronto Burke episode, but we're going to save that for next time, we think. I don't really, that's yeah, not really a news and update. that's not really a news or an update. Uh, it's like um, a teaser for the next episode. Next episode is going to be about Toronto Burke, the founder of the... Hashtag Me Too movement. Well, the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement. Which later whole. became the hashtag Me Too movement. Yeah. But she founded it on LiveJournal 10 years before... MySpace. 10 years ago. MySpace, whatever. Um, Some dead social see, media website. We gotta figure our we gotta figure our shit out. We gotta do our research anyway. So look forward to that next time, whatever next time is. <laughs> our inconsistent release schedule. We wanted so much to be every two weeks when well, we started this. It's just it's just that we don't have that many listeners, and we also don't have any support. We don't ask for money. Yeah, we just do this in our spare time. To, Which has been less since grad school. To started. try to advocate for survivors, this is just a platform for us to advocate. So we do it when we can, um, but we feel very strongly about it. So yes. Anyway, well, fuck it. Today we're talking about Centoya Brown. Centoya Let's Brown. just get Hashtag right to it. We don't have Brown. any news and updates except that Trump is horrible. But we all knew that. Yeah. Little children are dying in internment camps on the border. Or being sexually abused in internment camps on the border. Yeah. While, tr- while Trump, who is a sexual abuser, has the nerve to say that we need to build a wall to keep rapists out of this country. Yeah. Because white men aren't rapists. Only brown men are rapists. If a white man rapes you, you wanted it. Basically. Basically. Anyway, on that cheerful note, <laughs> uh, speaking of rape, rape, rapists uh we're gonna talk today we kind of put our toronto our bigger toronto burke episode that we have been researching on hold for now um because more urgently we need to talk about is it more urgent well i guess not at this point since but it's very topical centoya brown's case has come back to the spotlight uh and some of you survivors out there may be familiar with centoya brown she is is now a 30-year-old woman uh, living in well, she's prison. Serving time in, serving time Tennessee in a Tennessee women. prison for women uh, for murder. In the first degree. In the first degree that she was convicted of when she was 16. Uh, so let's, well, before we get to kind of what's happening current events-wise with Centoya's case, I guess we should talk about just like what happened to Centoya, yeah, how she got where she is now, and why it's important that we uh, advocate for her and her freedom. Well, um, so okay, so Centoya Brown was born in Tennessee 
1988 to Georgina Mitchell. She was born Centoya Denise Mitchell, uh, according to Wikipedia. I'm such a deep, deep, deep diver, deep diver into the research realm, the deep web. Um, but uh, Brown's biological mother put her up for adoption. She was adopted by a woman named Georgina. No, uh, Ellenette Brown was or, her adoptive mother. Yeah. Georgina was her biological mother. She was adopted by Ellenette Brown. Um, but she was unable to provide a stable home for Centoya. And when she was 16, Centoya ran away. And uh, was abducted. I'm going to say abducted. Yeah. Wikipedia says I mean, began associating a with... A lot of people... A lot of the articles I've read were like, began associating with, start moved in with, lived with her boyfriend, Cutthroat. And it's like, okay, well, she was 16 and he was her pimp. And the whole boyfriend thing is a fucking lie that they tell their victims, their sex trafficking victims. She was a sex trafficking victim yeah. of Cutthroat, her fucking pimp. Can you imagine living with a man that you call cutthroat who beats you and tells you to go out and like make money and you're homeless living in a hotel room with this piece of shit? Anyway, that was Centoya's life. She was living um, in a... In a hotel. In an extended stay hotel with her pimp. And he, on the day in question, the day of the incident, was like beating her and then told her to go make some money. And she went to a Sonic drive-in. Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I think it's in Nashville, located in a yeah. in a a known red light district for Nashville, where she was picked up by a forty three year old man. Yeah, right. What was his name? Yeah, and he Johnny uh, Mitchell Allen, a forty three year old real estate broker and United States Army veteran, picked her up in the Sonic Drive In at Murfreesboro Road in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, uh, they agreed that Brown would have sex with him for $150, and then they went, Alan drove Brown, Centoya Brown, to his home on Mossdale Road, according to the Wikipedia. <laughs> and then at some point during the night, Centoya Brown shot Alan in the back of the head while he was asleep. Or maybe not asleep. She says in the court documents that she saw him when he was reaching under the bed for a gun. Yeah. So it's it's unclear what happened. We can't know. I don't super want to focus on the specifics of it. But, like, she said that she was in fear for her life. She did shoot him in the back of the head. But that doesn't mean that he was asleep. And that doesn't mean that he was not reaching for a gun. And even if he had been asleep, it doesn't mean she wasn't And even wasn't if he had been asleep, it doesn't mean she wasn't in fear for her life. She was a child who was being horribly abused. Yeah. And he had shown her several guns. Yeah. So she shot him, and then she took his truck. And his wallet or something. And, like, some cash out of his wallet. Yeah. Uh, probably $150, you know? Like, probably what he was going to pay her. And yeah. then uh, went back to her pimp. And then later was picked up by the police and stood trial. And she was 
At first, she said it was self-defense and that she was in fear for her life. But when the whatever coroner's report said that he was shot in the back of the head, they decided that that meant that he was asleep and that she was lying and that it was she ended up being convicted of first degree murder and robbery. And yeah, given, with given like a, aggravated assault. Yeah, aggravated thing. assault and given a life sentence. So that's cool. I'm glad we're um, sentencing 16-year-olds to life in prison, which is actually against the Tennessee law it is, now. It is now. Now it is now it, it is illegal to... Partially due to the documentary. Partially because her. of Centoya Brown's case. Yeah. So in some ways this is similar to um, Stacey Lanert. Yeah. Because she also... She shot her dad while he was passed out. Yeah. But she was also in fear for her life. You know? Um, yeah. I used to... I mean, I, I was uh, beaten and raped by my father, and I used to wait until he passed out and then go get a knife and, like, stand over him and think about stabbing him. And I didn't ever want to like kill him I just didn't want him to hurt me anymore and that was the only way I could think I just didn't want him to wake up again because yeah. I knew when he woke up he would hurt me again yeah um and I think that there a lot of people don't understand like the fear and how trapped you feel um anyway but Sintoy's case like Stacey Lannert is really close to my heart because I did spend a significant, like there, but for the grace of God, I go, you know, like I used to think about how I would have to kill my dad before he killed me and how I would have to go to prison for probably the rest of my life if I killed him. Yeah. And then I did think when I was like between 12 and 16, I thought a lot about running away and the options I had and, being a sex worker and I and I didn't but you know because I was like oh, I'd rather just stay here and be like better the devil that you know yeah but like Centoya didn't even have that option you know no she didn't so uh Wait, Centoya's before we move on I wanted to say I mean it sort of speaks to me too I didn't I wasn't like um like raped and beaten by my father or a pimp and I was never sex trafficked, but I was living at, um, sort of a, a low rent extended stay, uh, hotel for a while. Um, where I, there were, you know, like people being sex trafficked at that hotel. And because I couldn't hold down a job at that time, I was like 23 and really severely depressed. And my mom had just kicked me out. Um, basically like for being, I don't really know. It's confusing, but too much to explain. But, you know, I was considering but you didn't doing have any, sex work. You didn't have a job. You didn't have anywhere to go. You were living in a... People were already propositioning me for, like, people, to pay me for yeah. sex. I mean, you called me, and you told me that you had been standing in front of your hotel room door smoking a cigarette, and that someone had come up and asked you how much it would be for a blowjob. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But, like... And it wasn't the only time while I was living there. I mean, I think we've touched on this before, but like how once you, there's like, like a big sort of neglected 
population in this country are people who are like homeless, who live in hotels or or shelters or, or on shelters or on the street, and they're first forced to turn to sex working. And a lot of times they suffer from mental illness. They can be transgender. They can be LGBTQA. It's very difficult, and it's becoming more difficult to succeed alone in our society. It's if if you have trouble keeping down a job, if you can't work sixty hours a week, you know, if you can't finish school, you don't have a lot of options. And once you've gone, yeah. once you don't have a place to live anymore, it's really hard to get it's back. It's really hard to get back up on your feet. And if you don't have an address, you're subhuman in the eyes of the law. I mean, you don't. You can't vote. You can't vote. That's one of the things. It was, um, uh, that was a rough time in my life, uh, like a, one of the like lowest points. And uh, it was not nearly as bad as anything that has happened to Centuria Brown, but it, um, the detail about how she was staying with her pimp in the in-town suites really like sort of hit me. Yeah. It's really. Because I was like, oh, you know, I was so close to that kind of thing happening. I think. Not, not to me, but like I was. But well, like, not exactly. you were close to it happening to you. Like, I think that that's the thing is that like, we both have different experiences, but like, we've both in different ways come very close to like, just like falling right through the cracks, you know, like, and just disappearing and becoming like the missing missing, you know? Yeah. Like if it wasn't for my somewhat complicated relationship with my mother. But like, if my mother had like not supported me at certain times in my life, like I wouldn't be here today. Me too. I mean, you know? my mom like, started moved me into a different hotel and started paying for it. Yeah. Like she still kicked me out, but she also moved me into a, like a safer hotel. Yeah. I mean, if she hadn't done that, like, I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I ran out of money. I didn't have any, yeah, you anything. Didn't, you left. didn't have anything. Like I would have literally been on the streets. Oliver, like, called me crying, saying that he didn't want to be a sex worker. And I was like, you don't have to be a sex worker. You <laughs> don't so have to. And I he was do anything well, else. Well, but, like, you were in a very desperate situation. And I was, like, telling you, you don't have to be a sex worker. But I couldn't tell you what else to do. Yeah. You know? I couldn't tell. Like, and I was, like, barely functioning at that time. Yeah. we were. I think there was a time where we were both living in hotels. There was a time when we were both living in hotels. Because there was a point where... I was also living in a hotel that my mother was also paying for, except it was, it was a nicer hotel. It wasn't like the first hotel you were living in. It was like the second hotel you were living in. It was like, you know, but if you've ever lived in a hotel, you know, you got, you know what we're talking about. Like, it's like a different kind of, I mean, you're, I feel like the whole time you're living in a hotel, you're really grateful that you're not living on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, it's also so much, even for it to stay in a shitty hotel, a cheap, cheap hotel is so much more expensive than t staying in a really, yeah, yeah, like even like a, it's just a way that they keep, pricey apartment. it's a way that they keep poor people. They, I mean, it's a way that the system in which we live keeps poor people poor, you know, like it's so much more expensive to be poor than it is to be wealthy because it's like, if you have enough money for a down payment on an apartment, a down payment uh, for the uh, deposit and the deposit. first month's rent on an apartment, you can pay significantly less. But if you don't have that money you up have front, to have proof of income. Yeah, proof of income. Obviously, you have to prove to them that you have the money. But if you don't have that money up front, 
then you have to pay more to live in a less secure, shittier place. Because there was several apartments that I applied for that I couldn't, wasn't approved for because I didn't have three times the rent, even though my mom yeah. would have been helping me. That was a real struggle for me, too, when I was um, younger, was the whole, like, having to, like, who makes three times the rent in income? Like, in Missouri? Where the minimum wage is seven seventy five. Like I worked fifty hours a week in Missouri and barely made fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like life is hard, and just because your life has been easy doesn't mean that other people's lives have not been hard. And I think that there's a lot of people that don't understand the desperation that some other people in this country face. Yeah. But this isn't about us. It's about Santoya. Yeah, and she never. Um, yeah, she never had like a choice. Yeah, but we just want to make it like. I it think just it's really some, speaks. I to think us. it's important to like be like, this isn't a rare thing. No, it's this is it's, a very common thing, and like the two of us could have easily been there. Yeah, and we're not just because of, like, the kindness of both our mothers, basically. And and our the, mothers are not that good of people. Tbh, <laughs> well, my mother's still married to my fucking rapist. And she knew that he sexually abused me, and she never left him. And then when I disclosed to her, she called me a liar. But she never let me be homeless, you know? Like, yeah. even though I was like, I'm not living with this abuser anymore, she was like, well, then I'll pay for you to stay in a hotel because you're not going to be on the streets, even though I think you're a liar, you know? Like, but not everybody fucking has that. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. And, like, two of the, like, eight people that I work with have been homeless. Yeah. More than that have been like horribly abused I mean I almost, it's just everybody when I worked in uh at different coffee shops after I dropped out of graduate school the first time I moved back to St. Louis and I was living in that hotel for a while but I was working at different coffee shops and like some of the people I worked with were homeless at that time yeah you know, a lot of them were drug users. Uh, they were just doing the best they could. You know, like the service industry and the sex working industry and homelessness are all part and parcel of like a different kind of level of society of people that we blame them and we say, oh, they have all these problems. But it's like, yeah, if you don't have money... You know, everybody has those problems. Everybody has, like, people on all levels of society have drug addiction problems, but it's criminalized if you don't have money. You know, people yeah. on all levels of society, like, don't have a place to live for a while. You know, your mother didn't have a place to live for a while. Oliver's mother is quite wealthy, but it was a different kind of thing for her because she chose to, like, like have an RV and go on a road trip and have this, like, experience of staying with her friends at their fancy houses. That was a... Rough time to be talking to my mom because yeah. I just, like, couldn't with that. But, like, it, but it's, like, a totally different experience. Like, yeah. if you, I had a lot of if you, if you that. have a certain amount of money, and even if you didn't have the money, like, if you have a certain credit score, if you have a credit history, yeah. you could get a loan. Like, being, yeah. like, wealth is more than just having money. Yeah. I mean, she kept talking about how she was cash poor. Yeah, yeah, it was really. Which was really annoying. What is cash poor? Because her, but it mean that means something because but, her all of her yeah. money was tied up in investments. 
like her the house that she was buying but wasn't free yet um or whatever like but her credit limit is i don't know i mean it doesn't it doesn't doesn't matter matter. doesn't matter it's just that and she has rich friends that she stayed with it's just that it just goes to show that like poverty is criminalized in this country and like if you struggle and you're also in poverty you are much more likely to be sent to prison yeah which is what happened to Centoya. So Centoya was tried as an adult. Was tried as an adult, even though she was sixteen and a sex trafficking victim. But do they? They said that she was engaging in prostitution. Yeah, they. They convicted her for that. Convicted too. her for prostitution. See that I can't. I, like I, I'm gonna like lose my mind because I just the thing where we criminalize victims of sex trafficking. Child victims of sex trafficking. If you are sex trafficked to this country from another country, you have access to all of these resources. To like, you have access to housing, you have access to like therapy, you have access to like all these different funds and all of these things and all these organizations, international organizations will help you as an international survivor and victim of sex trafficking. Like, and that's great. Everyone should have access to that. But if you are an American citizen who is, a, who is a child being sex trafficked, you are prosecuted and sent to prison for a fucking crime. And the Johns are not. And the Johns are not. Despite- I just can't. I just can't. I just don't. I just can't. This is one of the ways that our hatred of women and our hatred of people of color and our hatred of the poor manifests. And children. And of children manifests in like a perfect storm of like horror. It's in the way we treat child sex trafficking victims. Many of them people of color, many of them people assigned female at birth. Yeah. You know? Or, I mean, or trans women. But a lot of trans women are older. Yeah, but not all of them. Not all of them, but... I, like, that's, I don't know. And uh, when we talked about Cecil McDonald, she... Wasn't very old. She started um, uh, doing sex work because, uh, partly because it... Or she said she she partly felt good about it because it was, like, validating her female identity. But she stopped doing it because it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but she was a child. She's like 16. So that's horrible and everything's horrible. Yeah. You know, my cousin, I won't say her name or anything, but she just got out of the rehab part of the prison because she has become a sex worker and she is like addicted to crystal meth and stuff. And I just, I used to go to like, Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff, family functions, and I would, like, look at her, and I would look at her mother with their, like, the black circles under their eyes and, like, like the bruises that they had, and I would be like, oh, she, she's going through what I'm going through, and there was just, like, nothing I could do to help her, you know, and my, like, my, my mother talks about how she's, she's crazy and she's out of control and no one could control her behavior. And my cousin 
she's my second cousin. My first cousin is her father and he is very good friends with my father. They're like enabling sex abusing rapist buddies who really get each other. And my mother's always talking about how my cousin's doing everything he can for his daughter. Isn't it nice that her father is, Isn't it nice that her father has forgiven her for has forgiven her for whatever. like running away and doing a bunch of drugs and He's fucking, it's all, it's, he's so supportive. Because he fucking her abused her. He fucking terrorized her every day of her life. He tortured her for her whole fucking existence. And I know he did because I was there. And the same fucking thing happened to me. But it's her fault that she couldn't, what, be a, contribute to society while also being tortured and not telling anybody about it and keeping it all secret just so that my cousin could feel good about himself question mark somehow maybe what is why do they do it anyway <laughs> this is a great time to be talking about yeah triggering stuff but that's what this podcast is about because Centoya deserves our support and my cousin deserves our support and we don't have to be ashamed of what we've gone through and the road to recovery is long but we're really brave but and so is my little cousin, and so is Centoya Brown. And Who, she sounds like she's been on the road to recovery in fucking prison. Well, that's part of the injustice of it. Her so life is probably this brings us to Centoya. Why Centoya Brown has been in the news more recently is because of a, a Tennessee state Supreme Court decision saying that she has 51 years left of her sentence. So she's 30 now. She's been in prison for 14 no, years. No, she has to serve at least 51 years yeah. total. Okay, so she has to serve at least 51 years total. She would be eligible for parole at the earliest, at age 69. But the Tennessee Supreme Court... So the the issue... The thing that Centoya's lawyers were trying to argue was that, in the, in the Supreme Court case, was that... Um, she should not... Sentencing a minor to a life sentence yeah. is cruel and unusual punishment. That sentencing a minor to a life sentence is cruel which, and unusual punishment, which, which is Supreme, which Supreme is against Court the law in Tennessee. in 2012, which was after her 2006 conviction. So the U.S. Supreme Court has said sentencing a minor to life in prison is cruel and unusual punishment. And a life sentence and, is defined as 60 years or more. But a life sentence is defined as 60 years or more. So when the Tennessee Supreme Court ruled that Centoya Brown would only only have to serve 51 years. If she was good. If she was good. That means that she doesn't meet the life sentence criteria. criteria. So they threw out her cruel and unusual punishment case. Yeah. And the reason that she has 51 years instead of 60 50. plus years, even though she was sentenced to a life sentence originally, was good behavior. So she, she is her. not even eligible for parole until she's served 51 years. She was convicted at age 16 of a crime committed in self-defense. After a lifetime of abuse. After a lifetime of abuse and neglect. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so anyway, that's that's yeah. the Centoya Brown case. She, she got sixty years, and you can shave off to up to nine years off for good behavior. And she has been a model inmate <laughs> and got her associate's degree from like a liberal arts school in Tennessee, 
and has started it was mentoring like a other inmates. Private Christian Academy, I yeah. think. Um, but she mentors other inmates, and she's like, which like, I mean, that's incredible. That's. I don't think that. I think that sometimes there can be a risk of like being like, oh, she doesn't have any kind of life at all, which is not true. Like lots of people have lives in have prison. lives in prison, but yeah. she deserves her freedom. Yeah. She doesn't deserve And there was a a big movement to to for everybody to call the uh governor of Tennessee to get him to grant yeah, clemency before because, he leaves office. So January is when he leaves office and we're recording this podcast uh December 29th, 2018. 2018. And they just the Supreme Court decision was earlier this month, I think. So they're saying that Centoya's last chance after that Supreme Court decision that it had to be 51 years and that it was not cruel and unusual. Her only chance was if uh, Governor Haslan, is that his name? I don't know. I think it's Haslan. Um, the it's Tennessee, like the that. current Tennessee governor, like, would have to grant her clemency. And a lot of people, including, like, some celebrities, like Snoop Dogg and Rihanna and stuff, uh, were advocating for that clemency but Haslam released a list of people that he was going to grant clemency to and she's not on the and list. she's not on the list he released that earlier this month so he has like two more days to say that he's granting her clemency but I don't think it's going to happen um because she's a woman because she was a sex worker because she's a person of color how I, you know how because the people in power always sympathize with the rapists yeah, because the rapists are all in power and we can't have, you know. No self-defense. <laughs> anyway, when I was researching this uh, story, I came across an organization that has been advocating for some Toy Brown. Um, you should send me that link. The Well, I'll have to find it first. The um, Survived and Punished is an organization that, uh, according to their website, they're a national coalition that includes survivors, organizers, advocates. They uh, are trying to organize, decriminalize efforts to survive domestic violence and sexual violence. Yeah, they want to decriminalize efforts to survive domestic violence and sexual violence, support and free criminalize survivors, and abolish gender violence, policing, prisons, and deportations. That's great. And I think that that's a really admirable goal. I think that it's, I like how specific they are about decriminalizing efforts to survive domestic and sexual violence. I think that's... Because I feel yeah. like it's disproportionate, it's out of control. We've talked about it several times on this podcast, how as a survivor, like... It's like fucking serial killers who murder little girls get out of prison after seven years. But if you, in self-defense, kill your rapist, you are sentenced to a lifetime in prison. Like, it's insane, like, what people can get away with in this country and then what they can't get away with, just depending on their gender and sexual orientation and race. Like, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me. But even, like, poor white men can get away with disturbing amounts of shit. Yeah. We won't go into that. But um, I do – I just wanted to give a shout-out to Survived and Punished. You, If you visit their website, survivedandpunished.org, 
you can see that they have action steps for survivors in California and action steps for survivors in New York. And they have links to petitions for specific cases of people who they are trying to get released. And I just wanted to go through, I think, and mention, just because we're living in California now, some of the cases on the survivedandpunished.org California uh, website. So these are people who uh, this organization is supporting their um, attempts to commute their sentences as uh, survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So um, Brandy Scott is a black transgender woman serving a 22-year sentence. Uh, Brandy was criminalized for defending herself against her abusive partner. Stacy Dyer is an incarcerated survivor of child sexual abuse and severe domestic violence who has been in prison for 16 years. Janetta Leva is a 48-year-old Native American woman and survivor of domestic violence who was criminalized for actions taken while suffering from untreated paranoid schizophrenia and postpartum depression. Christina Martinez is an incarcerated survivor of domestic violence who has been in prison for nine years as a result of her abuser's lethal violence. Ray Harris is a transgender survivor who, in an example of extreme and disproportionate sentencing of trans people of color, was sentenced to two life without parole sentences and two 25-to-life sentences. And Gabriella Solano is an incarcerated survivor of domestic violence who has served 20 years in prison due to the actions of her abusive boyfriend and his acquaintances. And that's just some... They also have good news on their blog of people that... People that get released. That have gotten released or had their sentences commuted. Like uh, Tammy Garvin and uh, Kellyanne Savage. It's great. Uh, they also have a little video, No Perfect Victims. Oh, that's great. About how great. you can't be a perfect victim. You know? <laughs> right now. That's really... Because that's what they want. That's yeah. really what they want. They, you have to be a perfect victim. You can't ever defend yourself. You can't ever be angry. You can't ever react. No. Because the you're disproportionately punished for that. Yeah. I think about that a lot, actually, because I tried really hard all my life to be a, you know, good victim. A good victim. I was, I was good. Much good it did me. That's, I feel in some ways I have felt that victim and woman are synonymous in my life. And that when people tell me to be a good woman, they're telling me to be a good victim. Yeah. I think there's some truth in there. Anything that you do wrong as a woman is like not being very good, not very being a very accommodating victim. Exactly, you can't inconvenience. Which is just a really your abusers horrible way of structuring like gender. Well, or the whole identity. binary gender structure is inherently abusive, and our whole system of existing is allows abuse and blames survivors and blames victims. Because the people with the power are given all the authority in our world. I really want to read this article on the Survived and Punished blog that says, How Can We Reconcile Prison Abolition with Hashtag Me Too? Because it's really interesting, because it's kind of what we we're talking about. Like, um, you get you don't go to jail for like raping and murdering people, or you, you do, but not very much. But like, you're sentenced to life for defending yourself against a rapist. Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, we can't get into that. No, it's Because this, <laughs> this episode will be way too long. Um, maybe another time we'll talk about the prison system. I mean, we've talked about it before, but anyway. Uh, so please call, well, I, I'll try to get this episode out today, later today, I guess, because we have two days for you to call Governor Haslan yeah. uh, in Tennessee. But I, I guess I'll still give everybody the phone number. Um, so uh, if you want to, you can call the Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam and ask him to grant clemency for Centoya Brown. And his number is 615-741-2001. And I called him. Uh, he didn't pick up, but I left a message just saying that I urge him to consider clemency for Centoya. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of hope. And we have two days left to do it, so... Uh, yeah, this is kind of a depressing episode. <laughs> They're all a little bit depressing. They're all a little bit depressing. This is a particularly depressing one. We try to kind of keep the energy high and make jokes and be positive so that these aren't... Unlistenable? Unlistenably sad <laughs> yeah. episodes. But, you know, you can't always do that. Right. So, and that's okay. Yeah. And if you couldn't listen to this whole thing, that's okay, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh... I don't know. I was just thinking about how I was planning on putting a quick escape button on our website, just like they have oh, on yeah. the, um, the Me Too website, Me Too movement. Yeah. Or whatever. That'd be cool. Um, uh, also, I'm going to put the phone number in the uh, for Bill Haslam in the show notes. Cool. So uh, I guess we'll just keep this episode brief since we're so... I mean, it's already at 45 minutes, but that's kind of brief for us. Yeah. Since we're not, I don't know, I'm not very high energy. I wouldn't want to listen to me talk very much, but I am feeling very bad about myself right now. So, uh, Survivor Tips! Yay! Survivor Tips is our next segment. What's your Survivor Tip, Oliver? My Survivor Tip is uh, a Christmas present that Bailey got me. <laughs> Which is this little multi-tool that I love. Uh -huh. It's actually not quite this multi-tool. I have one that's shaped like a credit card that I love that I keep in my wallet. And I've already used the screwdriver and the knife. Wow. It's amazing. They make a lot of different kinds like that. Um, but there's also a pretty cool tool that I, a coworker of mine has um, that has a knife that comes out of it. like Kind of like the way the pocket knife comes out. Um, but then it has a lock on it to keep it out. Uh, and then there, it also has like a little like letter opener, kind of a hook that you can use to slice your seatbelt off. Mm. And I think it's a flashlight and it's a keychain. That's cool. So I think that's a really good, uh, tool to have around, even if it just makes you feel safe mm -hmm. to have it, have it on you. Yeah. Um, my survivor tip this time episode is, uh, that it's important to have a, a like a non-suicide plan, um, especially because you know it is Christmas. It is the season that has the highest rates of suicide. Um, I don't think I've had a Christmas where I didn't consider suicide to a certain extent. 
I mean, obviously I struggle with like severe major depressive disorder and stuff. So I have suicidal ideation and I just think that it's important to, um, remember that it is a symptom of your disease. And just because you're having those thoughts doesn't mean that, uh, if you were thinking a little bit more clearly that you would want to end your life and that you just have to keep that in mind and put kind of obstacles between yourself and like whatever suicide plan you have. So like, I don't keep guns around. I don't keep large amounts of like medications around. I don't keep particularly sharp knives around. It's just like limiting your access to things like that. You got a cat. I have a cat, but also like, you know, maybe I've, I personally in like trying to manage my suicidal ideation have found it very helpful to like have certain things that I want to do before I kill myself. Yeah. You know, like I have a list of things to do before I kill myself and they're like difficult things to accomplish. And that's just like sort of stops it. Like I always said, um, well, I don't know. I'll just be honest. I always thought like, if I'm going to go, I'm going to take some pedophiles with me. <laughs> you know, I was just going to like, like, fuck it, you know, like take some of them out, like some of the really bad ones. Uh, which is maybe not the best, maybe not the best survivor tip. I don't know, but like, it's not <laughs> it's the thing. To the thing is, is that it's like, n- n- I'm never going to do that, you know. And that's kind of like the idea is that like I'm never going to go, like find some pedophiles and kill them in a fit of vigilante justice. But that's like the kind of thing that stop. It, it kind of stops you from getting to the suicide part. Yeah. Right. Like it's such like an unachievable, ridiculous goal, but that it, it also makes you feel like your life has some kind of worth. Because yeah. even even at, like, my lowest point, it's, like, I would still want to kill pedophiles, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember somebody saying that theirs was, uh, that kept them delaying attempting suicide was there were movies that they wanted to see that hadn't come out yet. Yeah. I, I've had, yeah. I have things like that, too. I just, when I have been very depressed, that hasn't mattered to me anymore, but. Yeah. I don't know just something I thought I'd put out there. there yeah. A range of options. Yeah, there's a range. You can, that's just like kind of the most extreme. Yeah. It's a range of options. But also you could just be like, have a cat and what will your cat do if you kill yourself, you know? Yeah. That's really, it's really, pets are good. Yeah. Because like then, like, who's going to feed your cat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't work as well now. I mean. Because we live here. Yeah, but now I think like, well, we'll all over do if I just like kill myself like how would I I feel if Oliver just killed himself you know like terrible like what would I do it'd be terrible so I mean it would be awful you're like a like a big cat I'm a very large cat (laughs) you know who else is a very large cat our dog Chewy anyway so um I you know if you've made it this far uh I just want to say thank you this was a difficult episode uh I'm sure it wasn't, like, great to listen to, but we're trying to be real. Yeah. And, like, have real conversations with survivors about, like, our real experiences. And sometimes things are just hard, and the path to recovery is difficult. Yeah. And we just have to try to be there for each other as much as we can, and try to love yourself. Try not to be too hard on yourself. Yeah. You know, everybody's doing their best. And if you pick up a John and you think he's reaching for a gun and maybe he wasn't. You shot him in the back of the head. 
you know, for you, man. I, I you know. know, your whole life shouldn't be over because of that. Because yeah, you no. were in a really difficult situation, and it's a lot of people failed Centoya, and it's not her fault. Yeah. And she she was put in that place by she was victimized. And, and she was very brave. To she have was very brave. She's been very all. brave, and she'll continue to be brave whether she gets pardoned or not. I just I just wish people didn't get punished for surviving. Yeah. But we can't control that. We can control whether or not we punish ourselves. Yeah. Don't punish yourselves for, for surviving. Or try not to. I mean, you know, just do your best, I guess. I say to myself. <laughs> We've all got to find, you know, some self-compassion. Uh, anyway, oh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. <laughs> Email us with uh, your. Please tell us your, your survivor story, or about a featured survivor you would like us to talk or about, or a survivor you would like us to feature. Do you have uh, a case like Santoya Brown or Stacy Lannert that's close to your heart that you would like us to feature on this podcast and possibly cry about? Yeah, send us an email. Send us an email. Um, our email is survivorteamgo at gmail.com. That's survivorteamgo at gmail.com. Send us an email. Please send us an email. No one has ever emailed us. <laughs> no one's ever emailed us. <laughs> Don't you want to tell these weird, crazy strangers your horrible the life stories? The only in our Survivor Team Go email address are like emailing the episodes, the files, and like oh yeah, emails from Google saying you've signed in on a new device. <laughs> yeah. It's sparse. It's a pretty empty mailbox. Well, whatever. You know. We love you. We want to hear from you. Even if you just want to say hi. Yeah, you Survivor can just say Team hi. Go at gmail.com. Survivor Team Go at gmail.com. Um, and we will see you guys next time. Listeners. Oh, yeah, listeners. Survivors. Survivors. There's a war going on. And in the immortal words of Audrey Lord, your, your silence, silence will not protect, protect you. you. Bye, guys. Bye. Love you. Love you.